Good morning. Oh, it is super good to be here with you today. And Tim, thank you for the introduction. To be fair, she was a tall nine-year-old. Okay? <laughs> Puberty came for her before me. Um, worship team, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, just setting the mood for today. I... Like Tim said, I'm, I'm somebody who loves life, and one of my favorite things in the world to do is to worship. Uh, we are so fortunate and so blessed in this church. Um, we have an awesome worship team, and I just want to say thank you, Greg, and everybody else who was up here for setting, setting this mood for us. Um, Tim's right, it was several weeks ago that he asked if I would have interest, I don't know if that was the right word, if I would be willing to uh, speak here today. And I recognize something that, if you've been here the last three Sundays, there's been three separate men who have been up here, and really the only charge that we've been given is to just share what's on your heart, uh, what's God been doing in your life. So that makes me number four, which if we were a baseball team means I'm batting cleanup. Um, so I don't know if that's a lofty expectation or, or not. Um, but Tim is right. I've sort of got into this pattern of when an opportunity is in front of me and it feels overwhelming. That's usually when I need to say yes before I can think of the many, many reasons why I'd rather say no. Uh, because when I take a step and get myself out of the way, that's when God shows up huge. Um, and that's why I'm excited to be here today, because God has put some amazing things on my heart, and um, really, I just want to share them with you this morning. Uh, let's pray before we get going. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for this place, Lord. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for people who have just found their way here, maybe for the first time. Thank you for relationships that are being forged right now. God, you have brought this church through so much over the long and storied history of this church. And God, you haven't brought us here and just decided to drop us now. We thank you for your leadership moving forward, God. Lord, we pray that this morning it would be all of you and it would be none of me. Um, thank you again for the time of study and preparation that has gone into this. Thank you so much for your love. Amen. This is an iPhone. I, I reckon that many of you out there have one. Um, and they're super useful. You can do all kinds of things with them. I remember when cell phones were first happening. Actually, I remember before they were called cell phones, I don't even remember, they were in my dad's car. He had this book that opened up, and you could plug it in, and you, you had an accord, and you could make a phone call from it. And that was the first time I remembered that it was a mobile phone, and you could go somewhere, and you could make a phone call with it. Um, but since that time, uh, cell phones have come very far. You now have this iPhone. You have other smartphones out there as well. But the iPhone has kind of taken the world by storm. It was first released on June 29, 2007. Uh, six months after that, Apple released the fact that they had sold 3.7 million units of the iPhone, which, you know, it's good. Almost 4 million iPhones were sold. Well, if you were to see the, the chart, by January 2008, oh, I'm sorry, January 2010, 42.4 million iPhones had sold. By March 2011, 108 million iPhones had sold. And this year, in June, 500 million iPhones had been sold. Um, if you have one, you get it. I mean, they're, they're handy. It used to be you could make a phone call with your cell phone, and now you can do all kinds of things. Uh, you can text. 
You can shoot and send video. Uh, you can store music on it. You can use it as a GPS. You can map your ride or your run, and then you can tell the world about your ride or your run if you want to. Um, there are so many different things. When we lived on Saipan when I was a missionary kid, maybe you would get a package in the mail, and maybe in that package would be pictures from your friends of what they were doing in the States with their summer and whatever. And those are the, those are the only pictures you got. Now, if I want to, I can have a picture of my nephew who lives in Vermont sent to me immediately, and it's awesome, and I love it. Um, but what can happen as you learn to love your iPhone more and more and more, um, and it's not unique to iPhone, but you suddenly become used to it. You become accustomed to it. I mean, you naturally find yourself checking it, maybe for no apparent reason. You're like, ooh, I posted something an hour ago. Maybe somebody liked it. And you pull it out. You can check it. I wonder if anybody retweeted that last little clever thing that I thought way too long about before I posted it. You know, you're going to check up on that. We can even, you know, I, I fought this for a long time, but I even have the Bible on my phone now, and I think that's actually counts as a actual scripture if you wanted to. Um, but our phone can become this thing that we're so used to having, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, you become a slave to it. You're walking around constantly going like this. And by the way, if you pay attention on your drive home from church today, look at the people who are driving this way, and you will see, I guarantee you, at least one person, hand on the wheel, who is doing this thing right here while they're driving. It's frightening, but it's absolutely happening. But it's not unique to just phones that you can become a slave to. So this morning, for instance, I was up at 5.30 in the morning because I had all kinds of nervous energy. And the first thing I thought was, I got to go get my coffee. I just, it's morning, I have to have my coffee. And I've got in this routine where when I wake up, I got to go get my coffee and I got to fix it and I got to make it and all these things. And there's tons of stuff that we do that with. You can become a slave to food. You can become a slave to your favorite sports team. This is officially the last Sunday where there won't be NFL football until next year, and you very quickly can become a slave to watching football Sunday afternoons. And not all of those things are bad, but what it means to me is I look at it and I think, geez, we have this natural tendency within us to want to be following something. We want to dive into something. We want to be running hard after it. And I think, well, wait a minute. If we have this natural thing within us that, that we want to sort of become a slave to something, we want to be following something, and, and maybe we think that all of them have to be negative, could we tie that to something positive? Could we become a slave to something better? And that's where my mind went this week. I was, I was thinking about what I wanted to share with you. Um, I wanted to share with this concept about freedom. And I thought it was great this morning how we sang that my chains are gone, because that's really where I want to land this morning. This idea of being unshackled to sin over here. And instead, we're going to hitch our wagon to righteousness over here and see how fast and hard we can run in that direction. Um, we're going to be in the book of Romans this morning, and if you would like to, you can turn there. I do not know the page numbers, and I apologize for that. Uh, it is in the back third of your Bible. If you have a friend here, maybe they'll help you find out where it is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Um, I like lots of things in the Bible. One of my favorite authors is Paul. I think Paul is just a fascinating guy. Uh, he lived this life where <clears throat> when the church was young and the church was new, Paul was so convinced in the way that he had been brought up as a young Pharisee, as, as somebody who understood the law, that he was convinced this new movement, this the way movement was wrong. And he was convinced to a point that he actually went around persecuting the church. And I just think, what passion that much t must take to remove yourself from your day-to-day -to, -day to go out of your way to persecute other people. Um, and what's interesting about Paul is then, and, and if you've heard the story, you know his conversion, God gets a hold of him and basically takes Paul's life 
and turns it upside down. And I think it's amazing because now this passion that he has had for persecuting the church now becomes this passion he has had for telling people, wait, 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 you thought before that God was great and that this law thing, let me tell you about this Jesus character. Because he can take your life just like he took Paul's life and turn it upside down. And I just love the passion that, that Paul writes about. And so we're going to land in the book of Romans and we're going to set a few ground rules as we build towards our climactic moment today, which I swear will be very, very exciting. Um, and the, the first thing that we're going to all kind of agree on, because we have to lay this basis, is that everybody can see God. I don't mean visually see him, like look out the window and, and like he's doing jumping jacks or something like that. But there are things within our life that point us to where God is. We're going to be in Romans starting in chapter 1, verse 18. And it starts there. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. I'm just going to pause there real quick. Notice the words that he's using right there. Why has God been made known to them? Because God has made it plain to them. And, and Paul sort of makes that statement, and now he's going to come along and give a little support to it. And continuing, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. We've all had these moments. Maybe you were literally having a mountaintop moment where you can look around and you see creation, and for that second, for that minute, for however long it's taking, your breath is gone. And you look around and you go, this didn't just happen. Somebody put those stars in the sky. Uh, Psalm 19 talks about the heavens declaring his handiwork. And I just, I love that imagery. I think of places that I've been in my life that have literally been breathtaking with beauty. Creation has continually been pointing to the fact that there had to be a creator for this. And Paul says that nobody has an excuse now. You know, God has in a way written his autobiography everywhere we look. And all of this is pointing back to him. Everybody can see God. The second ground rule that we need to believe is everybody needs a savior. So we understand that everybody can see God, okay, so God's out there. But the next thing is that everybody needs a savior. Continuing in Romans, first chapter, uh, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile as their foolish hearts were darkened. We use a word a lot in this context of sin. And I don't know that we've explained it super well. But the technical definition of sin is this. Sin is an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. And even that kind of sounds like a little bit of a mumbo-jumbo. So for me, I choose to think of it this way. Knowing God and turning my back and just making a conscious effort to do the other thing. So if we believe that God is out there and everybody can see God, and then we have to come to this place where everybody needs a Savior, and what it looks like is that everybody becomes consumed by sin. We can see God, we can see him in the creation around it, we know that he is working in our lives, and yet for some reason, we don't always do the thing that we know we ought to do. And that's what sin is. I like the way the message paraphrases these last few verses that we read, and it's a lot of information, so I had a friend of mine help throw it up on a slide for me. Um, the message is not an actual, literal translation of the Bible. What it does is it takes words that we might not understand and put them into a much more... Uh, palatable setting. So starting at the top, but God's angry displeasure acts 
erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate, as people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes, and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God, who holds the whole world in his hands, for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. And I love that imagery there, because in this area of the world, we have roadside stands everywhere. And frankly, I don't know that I've ever found a treasure that is worth a whole lot at a roadside stand. I've found good sweet corn, and I have found tomatoes, but I've never found a treasure that, that can come close to comparing to what God has to offer us. But that's what we've done. We've seen God. We recognize that we need him. But for some reason, we have made the effort to turn away from him. And it continues. It says, So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the God they had made instead of the God who made them, the God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. And I just love the way that it kind of summarizes everything there because, again, we have the God in front of us. It's not like we have to go looking for him. We can look around in creation and see that he's there, but we have made this, I'll call it conscious effort, to disobey. We know what he's asking us to do, and yet we turn our heads away from him. And so often in Scripture, when we hear about this list of things, and especially in the Old Testament, as you might hear the Israelites have yet again turned away from God, and this long list of sins that people have done, it's easy for us to sit there and say, yep, that's sin. I can see their sin, and I can see that person's sin. I can see the sins that they're doing. Um, and again, one of the things that I love so much about Paul is that Paul has this amazing perspective in life. You know, he understood the law, and he understood people who knew the law really well. And he understood that people who knew the law really well would read some of this stuff and be like, yep, see, I told you, if you didn't obey the law exactly the way you were supposed to, God's going to turn his back on you. And I like the fact that Paul, in a way, makes a preemptive strike about that. And in the beginning of chapter 2, in Romans, verse number 1, his preemptive strike sounds like this. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge, the other you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. And, and I, I love that imagery. I love that, in a way, he jumps out in front of this. Now hold on, before you get going, thinking that you're just going to sit back and say, see, I knew they were doing it wrong, and they were doing it wrong, and they were doing it wrong. He says, hold on, before you pass judgment, just know that you're going to be condemned yourself. And, and I probably should have done this in the very beginning. Tim, every so often, will say, you know, this message is for these people here, and, and, you know, frankly, this message isn't for you, and so you can just take the Sunday off. So what I should have done at the beginning, and I apologize for, you know, I'm 10 minutes late now, is if you've never sinned and you don't struggle with sin, this Sunday's not for you. So you can leave if you'd like to. If you've never sinned and you don't struggle with sin, feel free. Sorry, I could have saved you 10 minutes of your morning at this point. 
But I'm a sinner. That's what I am. I was struck by it this morning as we were worshiping. Tim gave me all these interesting statements about myself, and all of them are true. Yeah, I do love people. Yeah, I love sharing with people. And yeah, I went to Bible school. <sighs> doesn't matter. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's it. It's the only reason I'm here, because the list of reasons I shouldn't be here are much, much longer than the list of reasons I should be. God saved me. And that's really the only reason that I'm standing before you today, just so that I can share a little bit of that with you. So we know that everybody can see God. We know that we need a Savior. And just as we start getting up to think that we're going to judge the people around us, Paul has shot that down too. The next thing is, is that everybody needs grace. Grace is kind of the only way that these shackles that we've talked about, these shackles that sin has bound us to, can start to be loosened just a little bit. And in Romans 4, verse 13, Paul addresses that as well. You see, it's not just enough to recognize that sin exists, and it's not just enough to recognize that God exists. We have to recognize there's nothing that we can bring to the table that is going to save ourselves. It's, it's counter to a lot of what we feel in life. You know, there's so many times, you know, maybe you're contemplating a job, you're contemplating a school or a club or something like that. It's like, what can I bring to this? What can I add to this environment? But the reality is that there's nothing that we can bring to God. God says even our best is like filthy rags to him. Chapter 4, verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that they would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. And I think of that children's song that Father Abraham had many sons. And, and that's what we are. We're sons and daughters of that promise, of this promise that says the law is not going to save you. This promise that says it's through your faith that you're going to be saved, through your faith that you're going to find grace and you're going to find righteousness. And that should be so freeing to us because the reality is we are filthy rags. I can't bring anything. There's nothing that I can bring to God. Thanks be to God that he'll allow me to come to him because he's given me grace. Everyone can see God. Everyone needs a savior. We know that we shouldn't pass judgment on others. And everybody needs grace. So we, we've arrived at this place now with this context where now we can look forward. And we're going to land in Romans 6, verse 15. And I've seen it with so many people. We walk around bound by sin. We walk around with these shackles on our arms and our legs that just weigh us down, these 30-pound weights. And they're so hard to get rid of. And Paul has sort of laid this groundwork, this this path that we can follow to begin to slowly loosen these shackles so that we can ultimately walk and live in righteousness. Romans 6.15, and, and again, he's laid this groundwork and he gets to this place where he's talking about grace. And I, just, I love the way he writes this. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that, you, that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? 
Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And let's pause there just quickly. This idea of offering yourselves as a slave to something, the more that you become obedient to slavery, I'm sorry, to sin, the more that you become a slave to sin, the more that you become obedient to it, the tighter those shackles get. And the more you are constantly buried under this weight that says, I will not get out from under this. But the converse is true too. Every time that you say to yourself, I will not be a slave to that sin anymore. I will not be a slave to that action. I will not be a slave to that thought. Those shackles get more loose and more loose. The keys become more readily available to you to unlock that. And righteousness now becomes this new master that you are able to follow. Continuing in verse 17. But thanks be to God that through you, you, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This imagery for me continues to be this weight that what sin looks like. I have shackles on both hands and I have shackles on my feet and literally I am weighed down everywhere I go because that's what sin wants. It wants to continually push me down, to continue to give me that feeling of, you know what, you'll never get away from this. So why bother trying? Give up. One of my least favorites slash favorite statements that I hear people make a lot is, that's just the way I am. Yeah, you gave up. You know, you have the opportunity to make change. It's not easy, but you have that opportunity. So if slavery is this weight that's hanging on me, just, I'm sorry, sin is like this weight that's weighing on me. Righteousness is this free, and all of a sudden now, it's like if you've been walking around with a 90-pound backpack on forever, and you suddenly take it off, there's more pep in your step. It is lighter You can't help but be compelled to act differently now because this is left over here. And now you are moving in this direction. It's a conditioned response. So the action step that I keep coming back to is I understand that you've probably heard this before and you've probably sang a whole bunch of times that my chains are gone. And you'll leave today and truthfully, nothing will change about your life as you walk out. You'll still be the same person. You'll still feel the same way. But I challenge you with this. When you are confronted with whatever that sin issue might be for you, whatever you have been struggling, that thing from your past that you cannot let go of, this issue of self-doubt that you have, this issue of low self-esteem, maybe you have an addiction or whatever it be, when you are confronted with that, I challenge you to do this. Claim this truth. You do not have to be a slave to sin. You can be set free and rather become a slave to righteousness. It's like a muscle. You have to exercise it or it goes away. So this is your exercise program this week. Every time you are confronted with that, exercise this muscle. Claim that truth. You can be set free. You don't have to stay attached to that weight of sin anymore. If you've grown up in the church especially you've heard this kind of talk before, and so this isn't going to be brand new for you. It's not that you've never heard this kind of language before, but again, I'm going to challenge you to put it into action. Because I would love to see a large body of people who says, you know what, we're not going to be held down anymore. I'm going to attach myself to righteousness and just see how far it can take me. But maybe you're here, and you have no idea what I'm talking about. You've never heard of Jesus. You don't 
want to know him, have no desire, but you do know something, that you have things that are weighing on your shoulders. And you've tried this, that, the other thing. You've struggled with an addiction forever. You have a past that is checkered. You are not proud of this. You are not proud of these things in your past. And you have been looking for a place, a dump, if you will, where you can just go unload this stuff. That's what Jesus offers. He offers to take that stuff that has been weighing you down, those cinder blocks that are around your ankles, he offers to take those and get rid of them. He offers to make you into a new creation. And that new creation doesn't have to worry about that baggage. That baggage can be left there. God doesn't want you to come and, and bring anything. He's saying, look, I don't, I, don't, I don't care what you have. It's filthy rags to me. Come as you are. My stuff's easy over here. If you've never had an opportunity to get to know Jesus, listen, by the way, my name's Derek. I'm a sinner, and I love Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about it. There's people around you that would love to talk to you about it too because this can be life-changing. This can be the moment where you say, okay, I don't really completely understand, but I'm ready to have my life turned upside down for the better. We don't have to be held. We don't have to be bound as slaves to sin anymore. Paul has laid out for us a way that we can slowly loosen those shackles and slowly grab a hold of this truth that says we are now slaves to righteousness and I am going to allow myself to be pulled in that direction. I challenge you this week to exercise that muscle. When that doubt starts to creep in again and when you feel like it is inevitable that you fall into that same sin, that same lie that says that I will never be better than I am right now, I challenge you to get above that. And to say, no, I, I don't care where this thought is coming from right now. I know otherwise. I know the truth. And the truth is that I can tie myself to righteousness. See where it takes you. I challenge you this week to make some statements and some changes in your life that will allow it to be turned upside down just a little bit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your life change. We thank you for an opportunity to be here today to release the shackles of sin. God, we all have those cinder blocks. They don't always look the same, but they all weigh us down. And they all keep us from ultimately what you would have for us. So God, we claim that truth today. We claim the truth that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are rather slaves to righteousness. And Lord, we just want to hold on to you tight and let you lead us there. God, if there's people out there right now who don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would be moving in their hearts right now, that you would be softening them, that they would have the courage to speak up and, and talk to somebody, anybody, and say, I... I don't know who this Jesus character is, but I want to know him better. I pray for boldness in that area. God, I thank you so much for this morning. We love you. Amen. Amen. Amen.